Better lock it just in case. Otherwise, it's going to run forever. Yeah, you never know. Spider-Man could come up and <laughs> try to break in my apartment. Some parkour enthusiasts. They're just climbing the building. Hey, the door's unlocked. <laughs> the door's open. He's got a cat. Come on, cat. Welcome to the 52nd, 5-2, mm-hmm. 52nd episode of Beer and Fear. My name is Zach. My name is Paige. Oh yeah. <laughs> this episode, because I'm not going to forget this Proud time, of you. is about hurricanes. I would have peed my pants if you said the wrong topic. <laughs> We're doing Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Fuck. Son of a bitch. Damn it. That would be a good uh, topic to do, though. Mm. Jack the Ripper, I'll add it to the list. Hurricanes. I wanted to do hurricanes because of Hurricane Ida, mm-hmm. which is sweeping through the... Actually, it's already kind of dissipated from what I can see. The um, the Gulf of the U.S. near Louisiana. Is it even on the radar anymore? Uh, no, I was just checking. I didn't see anything on... <laughs> Weirdo. What is the problem? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, it shows the path of where it went. It's going psycho. Yeah. Oh, the weather channel is so neat. So before you look up too much about Hurricane Ada. Oh, um, I just looked up the radar. Where was oh, that? yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's since Did like a left. little, whoo. Yep. Before we get into hurricanes, mm-hmm. before we get into the beer, mm-hmm. which will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Very excited. Okay. How was your week? Tell me all about it. It was good. You can do that every week. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Um, I visited my parents. I'm trying to visit them more often. Good. Uh, I'd like to see them again and your dogs. We'll work that out. That'd be that'd be great. I told you we could work it out. It's just gonna be a process. Yeah. Nothing too crazy. Allison and I went grocery shopping. You guys picked out some beers. Mm-hmm. I think you've uh, turned her on to craft beer. She likes it a little bit more now, yeah, that she's tried different things. See? It's good. And uh, what did I mention? Your disposition towards IPAs when we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. you know, And it completely changed your view after we tried a few different IPAs that you ended up liking. Mm-hmm. So, I always tell my friends, oh, I don't like beer. You just haven't had the right beer. You're still allowed to not like things. That's okay. But I, I'll be frustrated a little bit. It makes me think of the meme the comic you posted. It's so accurate. You marshmallow muppet. <laughs> uh, work and life. That's Excellent. all I got going on. I'm not really experiencing anything like crazy. I can't think of anything else that's happened. It's okay. Yeah, I have I have uh, periods of time like that too. Yeah, but not every, not every week is going to be amazing. Yeah. So far I am. <laughs> a few weeks strong. Over two. <laughs> what about you, bud? Uh, some stuff's happened. I um, am. I decided yesterday that the month of September, I'm going to challenge myself. No drinking. Mm-hmm. So um, the entire month, 
So I'm not. I'm going to be drinking water for this podcast episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just water and seltzer only from here on out. Every yep. episode for the month of September, I'm drinking water. Paige is going to be drinking the beer. Mm-hmm. And then no vaping for me either. I'm actually going to describe the beer from both of our viewpoints. Yes. Yeah. She will uh, judge it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what she has to say and what I have to say about the beer that only she is trying. Give you a spoiler. It's most likely going to be. It's good. <laughs> That's all you got to say. That's it. But no vaping also. I will not be vaping at all um, the entire month of September. We'll see. It's been a real struggle the past couple of days. Let me tell you. But uh, I believe I can do it, and um, hopefully I'll, I'll feel better afterwards. Um, and then once the month of October comes around, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> she did like a little that? dance. <laughs> oh wow! You are just all riled up, aren't you? You're ready to play. Come on, chill up here with us, you little rascal. Come on. Um, I'm hoping I'll feel better afterwards, and when October rolls around, we'll see where I'm at. Um, I'll go back. To drinking just hopefully not as much maybe i'll go back to vaping just not as much we'll see but and then uh oh i got my washer and dryer so i can finally wash clothes again it's great i got an upgrade so it's a little bit nicer it's a newer one um <laughs> and then i told you i was gonna save a story for the podcast oh yeah 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 i forgot about that yeah go on i was actually regale uh, me i was thinking about telling it for I'll tell it now. So <laughs> this the story's kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it it involves some gross things. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna try and spare a lot of the, like the real unnecessarily gross details, and I'll try to keep it uh, like as PG as I can. Okay, All right. Mm. So I was taking a shit. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Do not Sorry. include this. Sorry. I was using the restroom. There you go. Using the restroom. Well, okay. I'm going to try and make this PG. I was taking a massive dinosaur dump. I didn't say that. Using the restroom. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, go to flush. Doesn't flush. Okay. Toilet's clogged. Okay. I kind of... That's a big poop. I kind of knew it would clog. <laughs> oh, God. When I flushed. Oh, God. I went into the flush knowing Why? this might not work Why out. Why are you this? Didn't flush. It, it started to fill up a little bit. I was oh, like, no. everything's fine. Floating dookies. Everything's fine. It's Okay. Because I have a plunger. Perfect. Uh-huh. I'm so glad I have a plunger. So, by the way, uh, uh, it's an often overlooked item when you're going to move somewhere new. Uh-huh. Like if you move into a new place, maybe you don't have your own plunger or you can't take your plunger with you. Say your roommate wants the plunger. It's going to your roommate. Don't forget the plunger. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy like the paper towels, you buy the toilet paper, you buy the dish cleaning stuff. A lot of people forget a plunger. The last thing you want to do... Is take a big dump at 11.30 at night and in your pajamas and have to drive to Walmart in your pajamas and your slippers and all you're buying is a plunger, you know? Because <laughs> if all you're buying is a plunger, people are going to know what happened. They're looking at you in the Walmart like, oh, yep, I know what happened with this guy. Anyway, mm-hmm. I have a plunger. I don't need to go to Walmart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't shop at Walmart. So, I don't shop at Walmart, no. So I use my plunger mm-hmm. uh, and it's not really working. Mm-hmm. Plunger's not doing much. And I was like, it's okay, not panicking. I've been here before. I uh, Sometimes what's worked, after the plunger, uh, just flush it again. Sometimes you flush it, <laughs> it's enough pressure to get everything down. Cool, plunger's not working. Flush it again. 
that was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Water, <laughs> water is rising in my toilet, and um, the toilet's not big enough for all the water mm-hmm. at this point that's that's filling up in the in the toilet. Uh, so as a result, as a result, it ends up on my floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so now uh, I'm standing there on my uh, my little bath mat, freaking out. You know, like I'm trying. I want to do something. I'm trying to do something. But you can't really do anything at that point. You're just kind of stuck like, you're just sort of watching it. Watching it all happen. Like, oh, all right, this is what I did. <laughs> this is what I decided. You can't do anything. What are you going to do? Grab a bucket or you, like put some, grab some paper towels, put it underneath? Nope, it's too late. What's done is done. Toilet's overflowing. And uh, at this point, there's about an inch of water uh, in my basement or uh, in, my, in my bathroom. Put an inch of water on my bathroom floor. Uh, luckily, the little step thing prevents the water from going in the hallway. But there's there's um, there's some not so clean water in my bathroom. I'll put it <laughs> that way. <laughs> uh, the water the the water wasn't that not so clean. Okay, luckily my initial flush t- took care of most of it. But this was still not so clean water. I was like, okay. Now, what do I do? I need to think about my plan of attack here, okay? Luckily, I had a big basket of towels. <laughs> what are you making that face at me? I had a big basket of towels over here <laughs> that my mom gave me. Mm. I'm glad I had these because all my other towels uh, were not dry. Mm-hmm. So I grab all these towels. I, like, sidestep. I step with the sides of my feet, you know, grab these towels, put them all on the floor, soak up everything. All right, take care of that. And I put them all in a big bucket. I'm glad I got this bucket because I got this bucket from my mom's when she was moving. I didn't have any other buckets. I wouldn't have known what to do. Bucket full of, full of towels. And then I grab my Clorox spray and like, I got to step and like clean it apart. And then I got to step into the bathtub and then I got to wash my feet and then I got to clean the rest of the bathroom. And then I get the vacuum out and I vacuum everything up. And then I get my, (laughs) my steam cleaner and I steam clean the tile floor like so clean you could eat off of it i didn't do that but i'm just making that assertion it's like i i got this thing spotless all right my bathroom floor had never been this clean never been this dirty and then this clean in quick succession before um and now it's fine and i uh since i got a new washer and dryer i was able to wash my uh my bath mat and uh everything's back to normal in zach's bathroom i just wanted to share that little (laughs) That little dilemma I had. I, Episode I am 52. at a loss for words right now. Don't even try and gloss over this. You just told a shit story. <clears throat> hey, it wasn't that bad. No, not that. You know what I meant. <laughs> you know what I meant. Yeah, wasn't it fun? You weirdo. <clears throat> yep. God, I'm glad you didn't do that at another opportunity. <laughs> that would have been fun. Episode 52 is about hurricanes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the beer mm-hmm. that I picked is from uh, Central Waters Brewing Company. Mm. This is another new brewery we have not done before. Central Waters Brewing Co. Okay. And the brewery name is the tie-in. Mm-hmm. Central Waters. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of water in a hurricane. Sure. Uh, not the name of the beer. The brewery name. Let's get that straight. Yeah. Central Waters is at 351 Allen Street in Amherst, Wisconsin. Okay. 54406. We got a Wisconsin beer. 
Here at Central Waters, we are committing to being one of the most, I love these guys, I was reading this, one of the most environmentally sustainable breweries in the nation, from upstream products sourcing to downstream management. We consider the implications of every aspect of our business in managing our environmental footprint. We love to brew beer. It is our passion, and so is being a responsible steward of our environment. Unfortunately, making beer can be very resource-intensive, from energy needs to water resources breweries use a lot. To that end, we are continually working to mitigate our drain on these precious resources so all of us can feel better about the beer we drink. When we source our raw goods, our decisions take into account its environmental footprint. Our bottles are sourced from the greatest greenest manufacturer in the country, even though they are more expensive. Our packaging is post-consumer recycled cardboard, and our raw goods for beer production are sourced as locally as possible. We purchase all of our barley from Brees Malting Company in Chilton, Wisconsin, a mere hour and a half away. We are one of the founding breweries of the Midwest Hops and Barley Cooperation, uh, working to have local farmers produce local hops and barley. Managing our facility and our energy and resource consumption is paramount in uh, mitigating the environmental footprint of our beer. We have four large solar arrays here at Central Waters. One is a 1,000 square foot solar thermal hot water array. This system provides hot water to heat our 12,500 square foot facility and also provides preheated water to our brew house. So every beer we make is brewed using solar heated water. Isn't that crazy? We use LED lighting with motion-detecting switches throughout the brewery. We continually monitor and conserve water resources so that the brewery can, can consistently uses less water than industry averages and conserve and reuse brewing chemicals whenever possible. We even built our sampling room bar out of recycled materials. All of this effort has garnered us recognition as one of the greenest breweries around. We were the first brewery granted entrance into the state of Wisconsin's Green Tier program, recognizing businesses that are sound environmental stewards and are the only brewery in the state's Green Masters program. We have spoken and delivered presentations at numerous local and regional events promoting sustainability and have helped other industry members to become more environmentally responsible. Mm. We have done all of these efforts not for advertising, but because we believe in them, and we hope that shows. Our desire is that other businesses see that these things are achievable for small and large businesses, and that we have been and will continue to be a model for environmental stewardship. The next time you raise a glass, ask, how was my beer made? Now you know how ours is. Ale, sun, earth, and sky, Central Waters Brewing. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in there. Um, aren't they cool? <laughs> that is pretty cool. I, I love uh, I love environmentally conscious businesses. Our beer by Central Waters Brewing yeah. Co. is Brewers Reserve Bourbon Barrel Scotch Ale. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> the excitement is overwhelming. This rich malty ale has been aged to perfection in our barrel house. Subtle and smooth, this is a decadent display of patience and process. Join us in a toast to good health. Slauncha. Excuse you? That's Irish for oh, okay. cheers or health. Slauncha. Is that how it's pronounced? It it's, doesn't uh, sound very it's Irish. It's spelled S-L-A with a little dash. I-N-T-E. S-L-A-I-N-T-E. Doesn't sound very Irish. Slauncha. I know. Cheers. Mm -hmm. 
So this is a Scotch Ale. It's our first Scotch Ale. I didn't even know Scotch Ale was a style. Uh, I did some limited... Oh, he's dressed nice. It's my downstairs neighbor and his cute dog. I think that's a blue healer. Uh, the limited information I gathered on Scotch Ale. So craftbeer.com lists uh, Scottish ales mm-hmm. and Scotch ales as two distinct styles. They're similar. Scottish-style ales vary depending on strength and flavor, but in general retain a malt-forward character with some degree of caramel-like malt flavors and a soft and chewy mouthfeel. Some examples feature a light smoked peat flavor. Hops do not play a huge role in this style. Overly smoked versions would be considered specialty examples. They're on the amber to dark red side, Mm -hmm. so 6 to 19 SRM. Low in bitterness, so 9 to 25 IBU, and low in ABV, about 3 to 5%. Scotch ales, sometimes referred to as wee heavy, are overwhelmingly malty, with rich and dominant sweet malt flavors and aromas. A caramel character is often part of the profile. Some examples feature a light smoked peat flavor. This style could be considered the Scottish version of an English-style barley wine. Mm -hmm. So we've had barley wine before. This will be kind of similar. Do you remember if I like that or not? I don't. I doubt it. I don't remember. Darker than... uh, These are... Uh, Scotch ales are darker than Scottish ales, so 15 to 30 SRM. Mm-hmm. They're more bitter, 25 to 35 IBU, and higher ABV, 6 to 8%. It's best thir- thurved uh, in a thistle glass. A thistle glass, which I don't have, at 50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. We're going to use uh, our our little um, our tiny glasses. Oh, I could use a tiny glasses? Yeah. Are we going to share a bottle? Um, no. Oh, I don't want it my own. <laughs> Best paired with a variety of meats and game, huh? pungent cheeses, and creamy desserts with fruit. What's Central a pungent Waters, cheese? Uh, like blue cheese. Oh. Central Waters actually has pairings on their website. So you mentioned last time on. Oh, I do like pairings. Yeah. yeah. So they, uh, they recommend you pair it with blue cheese, dark fruits, and smoked meats. Hmm. It uses East Kent Goldings and Northern Brewer Hop Varietals, caramel, chocolate, and smoked malts. It is 12% IBV, pretty strong. IBV? I'm sorry, ABV. 12% ABV, 29 IBU. Okay. So kind of in the middle when I was describing Scotch Ales or Wee Heavies. And this does have a Beer Advocate page. Okay. Let me tell you, it's got a score Mm -hmm. of 95. It is world class. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) This is the uh, second world class beer we're doing. We will see about that. Zombie Dust was the first. 95. Did Zombie Dust get a 95? I thought it, they got a 92. It, no, it got it got higher than 95. Oh. It got a, I think it got a, it got a 100, actually. Oh. Zombie Dust. World class. Confuses this me. This is ranked number four in Scotch Ales, mm. right, or Wee Heavies. Number four in the style, ranked 1,053 overall. Okay. So the last time we've had a beer this good, according to BA, was Zombie Dust. Mm. Zombie Dust was like 39. We haven't had one that good. No, this is our wow. second highest rated, rate, ranked, sorry, ranked beer. We're lowballing it. Uh, this has 234 reviews, 1,089 ratings, with an average rating of 4.28. You know the beer place, the liquor place that Allison and I went to to get the beers that uh, she picked out, or I picked out, and she picked out, had uh, beer advocate scores written on little pieces of paper oh, yeah, in front yeah, of yeah. beers. Yeah, you can. Um, on the beer advocate page, you can click the link. It says Print Shelf Talker, mm-hmm. and it describes the beer and has the score that's pretty neat i like when places do that so 95 world class 1053 ranking let's go grab it i'm not going anywhere no i'll i'm gonna say that and then i'm gonna get up and go. <coughs> okay you stay there all right
<laughs> Baby glasses. Mike came out of nowhere. So a thistle glass is kind of like a pint glass and one of these combined. It's got a big bell towards the bottom, and then it flares outward, mm. kind of like a wheat, wheat glass. Um, probably not the, the best beer to put in one of these glasses, um, but uh, we'll give them a shot. My label is on crooked. Oh. I don't like that. I'm sorry. Hmm. You want me to bring these back to yeah. Test Plains? And yeah. You want this one? No. <laughs> Central Waters Brewing Company Incorporated Scotch Ale Brewers Reserve Malt Beverage Aged and Used Oak Bourbon Barrels. Oh my god, can you scratch my shoulder? Which? This one? Right where? Right here? Yeah. It hurt a little. <laughs> it's like you're trying to make a fire. Well, you were complaining, so I... <laughs> you can't make me happy. Nope. The uh, did you look at the top of the beer can? The beer cap. It looks oh, like a little like chicken a, foot. It is like a little chicken foot. What's up with that? Uh, I don't understand. That. Or the dolls from the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> I want to go with the chicken foot. Scott's like. beer bottle opener. Oh gosh! You get a whiff. Ooh, what in the world? Oh. See, you can't do this on stage. <laughs> what do you mean on stage? That kind of smells like, um, like aged root beer. Touch my lip. It smells kind of like root beer and licorice-y. It's like a Tootsie Roll. Yeah, Tootsie Roll scent. That's a strange scent. That's a strong smell. Ooh, I got a little too much in my glass. <laughs> so uh, the color, <laughs> the color is very dark. It smells like a stout. <laughs> uh, but there is. That is like. Tar in a glass. You can see there's hues of red here. Oh, yeah. It was a little wine-ish. So it looks like a very dark wine. Um, there's zero carbonation or head to this mm -hmm. whatsoever. The smell is very boozy. Very, very boozy and malty. Mm -hmm. Malty and booze. I don't want to smell it again. It hurts my nose. That's all I can smell. It, uh, yeah, it reminds me of stout and porter, uh, like the Goose Island stout that we had. Um Kind of like barley wine. The barley wine, stronger barley wine ales, mm -hmm. too. Let's give it a shot. Very, very delicate clink here, because I poured way too much. Ooh. Okay. No, that's not as bad. I know. Ooh. A little bit of chocolate. The smell does not reflect the beer in the slightest. The smell is very much, like you said, boozy, but the taste is like... It's, I, I I know I've said this before, but it's unlike anything I've tasted in a beer. Again, the chocolate. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it's almost like a warming sensation in the back of your throat. A um, little bit of fizz on the tongue, and then it just kind of warms everything. And then it just finishes with like, like a caramel roasty chocolate mm -hmm. sort of sensation. I absolutely hate the smell. Yeah, it's not great. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the the 
the taste either, but I don't know. It's not horrible. It's it's definitely unique, though. Mm-hmm. It's unlike anything we've had before. It's almost got the carbonation level of a soda, a little bit flat, like a flat root beer. The burp is um, strange. I keep having to, like, swallow it like medication because I don't want it on my tongue. So I'm going to do, like... <laughs> just yeah just very malty undiscernible hop flavor or aroma it's not bad but i gotta force myself to drink it there's, little, there's something else in there in the aftertaste yeah. that it's strange it makes me think of meat hmm. it's uh or seasonings it's thicker it definitely coats your tongue and your mouth a little bit more mm-hmm. um maybe the smell is a little caramely it's a very unique, interesting beer, um, and it's it's aged in what they say bourbon barrels. Well, that burp was something. Yeah, the burp's interesting. It does kind of have that boozy, medicinal sort of character to it mm-hmm. that we had with. I mean, it's twelve percent that we had with. Um, oh, I get a little chocolate in the burp now. <laughs> that we had with Goose Island, um, and I think like Bigfoot, the barley wine. There was a beer by Tighthead that I was looking at that I uh, that had water in the name of it. And I was going to get that, and I think it was a pale ale. Mm. And then I saw this. That beer looked interesting. Then I saw this one, and I was like, this is cool. I didn't know what a scotch ale was. Never tried one before. And I like that we're still trying beers and experimenting with styles and new things that we've never even heard of. Uh, that's what I like about this podcast is that we get to try some new things. And I will happily try something that I know I may not like, but is unfamiliar to me mm-hmm. versus the opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, we had that problem where we kept doing DDHs and pale ales. Hey, yeah, hazy IPAs. Hazy, hazy IPAs. Yep. So. I mean, IPAs, New England IPAs are everywhere. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to change it up. Something different. Even if I don't like it. I'm not the biggest fan either. It's a, it's a cool beer. It's an interesting beer. I can see why certain beer snobs would give it a 95, why it's ranked so high. Do you think that some of them are just like blowing smoke out of their ass because Maybe. they're like, oh, this, yep. has, this has high reviews. I, as a beer snob, should also give it a high review. Yeah. All these other people commenting on it. It's like, they're oh, all just yeah. fake. Okay. Yep. <laughs> 95, sure. Just yeah, that seems in. apt. That seems apt. As I drink the rest of this really boozy beer, mm-hmm. tell me all about hurricanes. So a hurricane, or a tropical cyclone, is a rapidly rotating storm system characterized by a low-pressure center, a closed, low-level atmospheric circulation, strong winds, and a spiral arrangement of thunderstorms that produce heavy rain and or squalls. Squall! Squalls! <laughs> Um, depending on its location and strength, a tropical cyclone is referred to by different names, including hurricane, typhoon, tropical storm, cyclonic storm, tropical depression, or simply cyclone. Hmm. A hurricane is a tropical cyclone that occurs in the Atlantic Ocean and northeastern Pacific Ocean, and a typhoon occurs in the northwestern Pacific Ocean, in the South Pacific oh. or Indian Ocean. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Tropical refers to the geographical origin of the systems, which forms uh, almost exclusively over tropical seas. Cyclone refers to their winds moving in a circle, whirling around the central clear eye, with their winds blowing counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise 
Um, did I say clockwise twice? Mm-hmm. Oh, counterclockwise mm-hmm. in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern hemisphere. The opposite direction of circulation is due to the Coriolis effect. What is that? You're going to find out. <laughs> in physics, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> the there. Coriolis effect or Coriolis force is an inertial or fictitious force that acts on objects that are in motion within a frame of reference. It's fictitious, huh? So it doesn't exist. That rotates with respect to an inertial frame. Oh, of course. Whatever that means. (laughs) Tropical cyclones typically form over large bodies of relatively warm water. They derive their energy through the evaporation of water from the ocean's surface, which ultimately recondenses into clouds and rain when moist air rises and cools to saturation. Mm. This energy source differs from that of mid-latitude cyclonic storms, such as nor'easters and European windstorms. Nor'easters? Nor'easters. Which are fueled by primarily horizontal temperature contrasts. Tropical cyclones are typically between 100 and 2,000 kilometers, or 60 and 1,240 miles in diameter. The strong rotating winds of a tropical cyclone are a result of the conservation of angular momentum, which we have brought up before. Conservation of angular momentum. It's, I remember. It's back. I remember everything about it, too. I could tell you everything, but this is your section, so you take it away. You could tell me everything. <laughs> I don't know jack shit about conservation of annular momentum. But we talked about it before, Paige. Paige. <laughs> we should be pros. We, we, we discussed this. Oh, I said I was going to turn the air on. Okay, so it says the definition. Oh, yeah. You don't have to go into it. Okay, I guess I won't. Never mind. Just making a, we talked about it before. If you want to hear us talk about the conservation of angular momentum, you go back to that episode where it's in the title. This is a physics podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's imparted by the Earth's rotation as air flows inwards toward the axis of rotation. As a result, they rarely form within five degrees of the equator. Tropical cyclones are almost unknown in the South Atlantic due to a consistently strong wind shear and a weak intertropical convergence zone. Okay. Yeah, whatever that means. (laughs) The primary energy source for these storms is warm ocean waters. These storms are therefore typically strongest when over or near water and weaken quite rapidly over land. This causes coastal regions to be particularly vulnerable to tropical cyclones compared to inland regions. Coastal damage may be caused by strong winds and rain, high waves due to winds, storm surges due to wind and severe pressure changes, and the potential of spawning tornadoes. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm about to give a weather report. Tropical cyclones draw in air from a large area and concentrate the water content of that air into precipitation over a much smaller area. This replenishing of moisture-bearing air after rain may cause multi-hour, multi-day, extremely heavy rain up to 25 miles from the coastline. Far beyond the amount of water that the local atmosphere holds at any one time. This in turn can lead to river flooding, overland flooding, and a general overwhelming of local water control control structures across a large area. Although their effects on human populations can be devastating, tropical cyclones may play a role in relieving drought conditions, though this claim is disputed. They also carry heat and energy away from the tropics and transport it towards temperate latitudes, which plays an important role in regulating global uh, climate. I think you're going to say something. I'm I'm just like this the whole time. (laughs) 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 Wow. 
Uh, a tropical cyclone is the generic term for a warm cord non uh, non frontal synoptic scale low pressure system over tropical or subtropical waters around the world. These systems generally have a well-defined center, which is surrounded by deep atmospheric convection and a closed wind circulation at the surface. Historically, tropical cyclones have occurred around the world for thousands of years, with one of the earliest uh, tropical cyclones on record estimated to have occurred in Western Australia in around 6,000 BC. Oh, wow. However, before satellite imagery became available during the 20th century, many of these systems went undetected unless it impacted land or a ship encountered it by chance. Makes sense. These days, on average, around 80 to 90 named tropical cyclones form each year around the world, over half of which develop hurricane force winds of 120 uh, kilometers an hour or 75 miles per hour or more. Around the world, a tropical cyclone is generally deemed to have formed once, uh, once mean surface winds in excess of 40 miles per hour are observed. It is assumed at this stage that a tropical cyclone has become self-sustaining and can continue to intensify without any help from its environment. You know what I think would help make hmm. all of this make more more beer? Oh, okay. More, more drinking, I think, if... Uh, yeah, drive me home. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, you did say it was going to be science-y when, uh, when I picked this science-y. topic. Yes, yeah, similar to our Tornadoes episode. It's all very interesting. Oh, I'm trying to keep up best as I can. Boring episode. I don't think so. (laughs) Tropical cyclones on either side of the equator generally have their origins in the intertropical uh, intertropical convergence zone, where winds blow from either the northeast or southeast. Within this broad area of low air pressure is, I'm sorry, low pressure air, uh, is heated over the warm tropical ocean and rises in discrete parcels, which causes thundery showers to form. These showers dissipate quite quickly, however, they can group together into large clusters of thunderstorms. This creates a flow of warm, moist, rapidly rising air, <laughs> which starts to rotate cyclonically. As it the, interacts the air is warm and moist. Oh yeah, it is. As it interacts with the rotation of the earth, there are several factors required for these thunderstorms to develop further including sea surface temperatures of around 81 degrees Fahrenheit and low vertical wind shear surrounding the atmosphere. I'm sorry, the system. I don't know where I got atmosphere from. Pulled it out of my ass. Just making up words. <laughs> atmosphere is a word. At the center of a mature tropical cyclone, air sinks rather than rises. For a sufficiently strong storm, air may sink over a layer deep enough to suppress cloud formation, thereby creating a clear eye. Weather in the eye is normally calm and free of convective clouds, although the sea may be extremely violent. The the eye is normally circular and is typically 19 to 40 miles in diameter, though eyes as small as 1.9 miles and as large as 230 miles have been observed. Mm -hmm. The cloudy outer edge of the eye is called the eye wall. The eye wall typically expands outward with height, resembling an arena football stadium. This phenomenon... It's sometimes referred to as the stadium effect. The eye wall is where the greatest wind speeds are found. Air rises most rapidly. Clouds reach their highest altitude and um, precipitation is the heaviest. The heaviest wind damage occurs where a tropical cyclone's eye wall passes over land. In a weaker storm, the eye may be obscured by the central dense overcast, which is the upper-level cirrus shield that is associated with a concentrated area of strong thunderstorm activity near the center of a tropical cyclone. Hmm. Are you following? 
Trying to. <laughs> uh, the eye wall may vary over time in the form of eye wall replacement cycles, particularly in intense tropical cyclones. Outer rain bands can organize into an outer ring of thunderstorms that slowly moves inward, which is believed to rob the primary eye wall of moisture and angular momentum. When the primary eye wall weakens, the tropical cyclone weakens temporarily. The outer eye wall eventually replaces the primary one at the end of the cycle, at which time the storm may return to its original intensity. There's a lot more science stuff. The passage of a tropical cyclone over the ocean causes the upper layers of the ocean to cool substantially, which can influence subsequent cyclone development. This cooling is primarily caused by wind-driven mixing of cold water from deeper in the ocean with the warm surface waters. This effect results in a negative feedback process that can inhibit further development or lead to weakening. Additional cooling may come in the form of cold water from falling raindrops, Cloud cover may also play a role in the cooling of the ocean by shielding the ocean's surface from direct sunlight before and slightly after the storm passage. All these effects can combine to produce a dramatic drop in sea surface temperature over a large area in just a few days. Conversely, the mixing of the sea can result in heat being inserted in deeper waters with potential effects on global climate. What do you mean effects on global climate? Climate's fine. What do you mean? There's nothing wrong with it. (laughs) Everything's Everything's okay. The earth isn't burning. Uh, The movement of a tropical cyclone, i.e. its track, is typically approximated as the sum of two terms. Steering by the background environmental wind and beta drift. It sounds like this should be in Fast and Furious. Beta drift. (laughs) Too fast, too furious. (laughs) Hurricanes are beta drifting. Environmental steering is the primary influence on the motion of tropical cyclones. It represents the movement of the storm due to prevailing winds and other wider environmental conditions similar to leaves carried along by a stream. Yeah. Physically, the winds or the flow field in the vicinity of a tropical cyclone may be treated as having two parts. The flow associated with the storm itself and the large-scale background flow of the environment. Tropical cyclones can be treated as local maxima of vorticity suspended within the large-scale background flow of the environment. In this way, (laughs) tropical cyclone motion may be uh, represented, resented for sure, (laughs) to first order as advection of the storm by the local environmental flow. (laughs) Your face. I'm really trying. I'm I'm kind of I'm following some things. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all very technical. We'll just skip to beta drifting. <laughs> skip to whatever you want to skip to, Paige. It, in addition to environmental steering, which we talked about very briefly, a tropical cyclone will tend to drift poleward and westward, a motion known as beta drift. This motion is due to the superposition of a vortex, such as a tropical cyclone, onto an environment in which the Coriolis force varies with latitude. Uh, There are a variety of metrics commonly used to measure storm size. The most common metrics include the radius of maximum wind, the radius of 34 knot wind, i.e. gale force, the radius of outermost closed isobar. Um, An isobar is the line of equal or constant pressure on a graph plot or map. Just so, give you a little background on Uh that. And the radius of vanishing wind. 
So less than two degrees latitude is very small, minor. Two to three degrees of latitude is small. Three to six degrees of latitude is medium average normal. Six to eight degrees of latitude is large. And over eight degrees of latitude is very large. That is very large. <laughs> over eight degrees of latitude, baby. <laughs> On Earth, tropical cyclones span a large range of sizes from 100 to 2,000 kilometers or 62 to 1,243 miles as measured by the radius of vanishing wind. They are largest on average in the Northwest Pacific Ocean Basin and smallest in the Northeastern Pacific Ocean Basin. Hmm. If the radius of, out radius of outermost closed isobar is less than two degrees of latitude, then the cyclone is very small or a midget. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, no. It's, it's little cyclone. Okay? <laughs> little. <laughs> uh, a radius of three to six degrees latitude is considered average sized. Very large tropical cyclones have a radius of greater than eight degrees, like I said. Um, observations indicate that size is only weakly correlated to variables such as storm intensity. I hope everyone's taking notes because there will be a test at the end of the episode. <laughs> it will be multiple choice. You will need to pass in order to listen to 53. Uh, on occasion, tropical cyclones may undergo a process known as rapid intensification, a period in which the maximum sustained winds of a tropical cyclone increase by 30 knots or more Whoa. within 24 hours. For rapid intensification to occur, several conditions must be in place. Water temperatures must be extremely high near 86 degrees Fahrenheit, and water of this temperature must be sufficiently deep such that the waves do not upwell cooler waters to the surface. Okay. <laughs> that part made sense to me. <laughs> um, there are a number of ways a tropical cyclone can weaken, dissipate, or lose its tropical characteristics. These include making landfall, moving over cooler water, encountering dry air, or interacting with other weather systems. However, once a system has been declared dissipated or lost its tropical characteristics, its remnants could regenerate a tropical cyclone if environmental conditions become favorable. Um, should a tropical cyclone make landfall or pass over an island, then its circulation could start to break down, especially if it is a mountainous island. Should a system make landfall on a large mass of land, it would be cut off from its supply of warm, moist maritime air, and it would start to draw in dry continental air. This, combined with the increased friction over land areas, leads to the weakening and dissipation of the tropical cyclone. Over mountainous terrain, a system can quickly weaken. However, over a flat area, it may take two to three days for the circulation to break down and dissipate. I'm just uh, stroking my beard quizzically. <laughs> a tropical cyclone can dissipate when it moves over waters significantly cooler than 79.7 degrees Fahrenheit. This will cause the storm to lose its tropical characteristics, such as a warm core with thunderstorms near the center, and become a remnant low-pressure area. These remnant systems may persist for up to several days before losing their identity. This dissipation mecha uh, mechanism, mechanism <laughs> is most common in the northeastern, I'm sorry, eastern North Pacific. Weakening or dissipation can occur if it experiences vertical wind shear causing the convection and heat engine, it has an engine now, to move away from the center. This really should be too fast too furious. <laughs> Drifting with engines. In addition, its interaction with the main belt of the westerlies by means of merging with a nearby frontal zone can cause tropical cyclones to evolve into extra-tropical cyclones. This, can, this, yeah. this transition, I'm okay, I swear, can take one to three days. Right. 
Uh, over the years, there have been a number of techniques considered to try and artificially modify tropical cyclones. Oh, are we controlling the weather now? Yeah, man. There's a movie about that. These techniques have included using nuclear weapons, cooling the ocean with icebergs, blowing the storm away from land with giant fans, and seeding selected storms with dry ice or silver iodide. However, these techniques have failed to appreciate the duration, intensity, power, or size of tropical cyclones. It reminds me of that Futurama episode where they dropped the giant block of ice into the ocean. Oh my god. There's also a Kate Bush song about that. It's called Cloud Bursting. Check it out. It's really good. It's about controlling, controlling the weather. weather. Okay. I thought you meant like specifically about controlling hurricanes. <laughs> Around the world, tropical cyclones are classified in different ways based on the location, the structure of the system, and its intensity. For example, within the northern Atlantic and eastern Pacific basins, a tropical cyclone with wind speeds over 75 miles per hour is called a hurricane. While it's called a typhoon or a severe cyclonic storm within the western Pacific or northern east, uh, northern Indian Oceans. Why? It's dumb. Why did we need two words for the same thing? Why not? It's like, if it's on my left foot, I'm going to call it a shoe. If it's on my right foot, I'll call it a blorg. A blorg. <laughs> this is my shoe and this is my blorg. They're the same thing. They're just on different feet. There's a little chart on Wikipedia um, that you can reference if you're interested. And it's the uh, Beaufort, I think. Beaufort scale or Beaufort, I think Beaufort. Um, it goes from, it's got like a whole thing, but it goes from 0 to 7, 7, 8, 9 to 10, 11, and 12 plus. And those fall into categories of uh, 1 minute sustained winds. So those uh-huh. are broken down. 10 minute sustained winds. And then the location. Uh-huh. I'm familiar with the, the two first terms because I talk about them in my section. Oh, okay. I won't go into the it. The sustained winds. Um, warm sea surface temperatures are required in order, like I've mentioned, in order for tropical cyclones to form and strengthen. The commonly accepted minimum temperature range for this to occur is 79 to 81 degrees Fahrenheit. It's pretty warm. However, multiple studies have proposed a lower minimum of 77.9 Fahrenheit degrees Fahrenheit. Higher sea surface temperatures result in faster intensification rates and sometimes even rapid intensification. High ocean heat content, also known as tropical cyclone heat potential, allows storms to achieve a higher intensity. Most tropical cyclones that experience rapid intensification are traversing regions of high ocean heat content rather than lower values. Um, A variety of methods or techniques, stop looking at me, including surface satellite and area... (laughs) And aerial, you can stop, are utilized to assess the intensity of a tropical cyclone. Reconnaissance aircraft fly around and uh, through tropical cyclones, outfitted with specialized instruments to collect information that can be used to ascertain the winds and pressure of a system. Tropical cyclones uh, possess winds of different speeds at different heights. Winds recorded at flight level can be converted to find the wind speeds at the surface. Hmm. Surface observations, such as ship reports, land station, mesonets, coastal stations, and buoys, can provide information on a tropical cyclone's intensity or the direction it is traveling. Uh, Wind pressure relationships, or WPRs, are used as a way to determine the pressure of a storm based on its wind speed. Several different methods and equations have been proposed to calculate WPRs. Uh, Tropical cyclone agencies each use their own fixed WPR. Hmm which can result in inaccuracies between agencies that are issuing estimates of the same system. Of course. 
It's happened to me before. Yeah. <laughs> Had a lot of problems with that back in the day. Um, there are a few uh, warning centers. Uh, in the North Atlantic, there's the United States National Hur- uh, Hurricane Center. Hurricane. Hurricane. <laughs> the Eastern Pacific, there's the United States Central Pacific How Hurricane specific? Center. Extremely specific. <laughs> in the Western Pacific, there's the Japan Meteorological, Meteorological Agency. There's the India Meteorological Department India. in the North Indian Ocean. Indian. There's a Mateo France reunion in the Southern Hemisphere on the Southwest Ooh, Indian Ocean. A reunion. <laughs> They're bringing them back together. <laughs> there are three in Australia or the Australian region. Um, there's one in Indonesia. There's one in Papua New Guinea. And then there's the Australian Bureau of, uh, Bureau, Bureau of Meteorology. And then in the Southern Pacific, there's the Fiji and the Meteorological Service of New Zealand. Okay. That's a lot of... There's more. That's a lot of things. Ahead of the formal season starting of hurricane season, people are urged to prepare for these effects of uh, by politicians and weather forecasters, um, uh, forecasters, among others. They prepare by determining the risk to the different types of weather tropical cyclones cause, checking their insurance coverage and emergency supplies, as well as determining whether to evacuate if needed. When a tropical cyclone develops and it's forecast to uh, impact land, each member of the nation, uh, each member, member station, I don't know why that didn't make sense in my head, of the World Meteorological Organization issues various watches and warnings to cover the expected impacts. Mm. I assume you go into like the damage of what can happen. I talk about uh, the kind of like my um, megalophobia episode. Records. Okay. Um, tropical cyclones out at sea cause large waves, heavy rain, flood, and high winds, disrupting international shipping and at times causing shipwrecks. Tropical cyclones stir up water, leaving a cool wake behind them, which causes the region to be less favorable for subsequent tropical cyclones. On land, strong winds can damage or destroy vehicles, buildings, bridges, and other outside objects, turning loose debris into deadly flying projectiles. Mm-hmm. Projectiles or projectiles? I say projectiles. I say projectiles. You say. Oh, you also say Nevada. I do. The storm surge or the increase in sea level due to the cyclone is typically the worst effect from land-falling tropical cyclones, historically resulting in 90% of tropical cyclone deaths. The broad rotation of a land-falling tropical cyclone and vertical wind shear at its periphery spawns tornadoes. Tornadoes can also be spawned as a result of uh, eyewall mesovortices, which persist until landfall. Yep, I will miss a vortices, know all about them. Over the past two centuries, tropical cyclones have been responsible for the deaths of about 1.9 million people worldwide. That's a lot of people. Large areas of standing water caused by flooding lead to infection, as well as contributing to mosquito-borne illnesses. Crowded evacuees and shelters increase the risk of uh, disease propagation. Tropical cyclones significantly interrupt infrastructure, leading to power outages, bridge destruction, and the hampering of reconstruction efforts. On average, the ghost, the ghost, the ghost, (laughs) the Gulf and East Coast of the United States suffer approximately 5 billion in cyclone damage every year. The majority, 83% of tropical cyclone damage is caused by severe hurricanes, category three or greater. However, category three or greater hurricanes only account for about one fifth of cyclones that make landfall every year. 
She does have dandruff. You would be correct, and I am done. Oh, that's it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Quite the abrupt ending. You would be correct, and I am done. I am finished. I can go into more. <laughs> you you cover you cover whatever you want to cover. You buddy. go right ahead, buddy. Oh, so polite of you. Hey. Bye. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk about some tropical storm records. Okay. Uh, I. <laughs> all of my research was done super last minute for this episode. Right before we recorded, I crammed all this information in. Uh, so, unfortunately, it couldn't be as thorough as my Tornadoes episode with my stories and research. I feel like that was much more interesting than what this is going to be. But i uh, put this together real quick. These are some records of tropical storms worldwide. So, the highest overall rainfall mm-hmm. goes to Cyclone Hyacinth in Reunion Island. That's an interesting name. Which is in the Indian Ocean near France. Isn't the hyacinth a flower? Um, I don't think so. I know hyacinth is a word, but I don't know that it's a flower. Uh, but Reunion Island is located in the Indian Ocean near France. Okay. Which impacted the area from January 14th to 28th, 1980. Ah, oh, damn, that's a long time. It is the wettest tropical cyclone on record worldwide. <laughs> Uh, the overall rainfall was uh, 239 inches, just under 20 feet. That's a lot of rain. Of rain. 20 feet of rain from this cyclone. The highest confirmed wave height goes to Hurricane Lewis mm-hmm. on September 11th, 1995 in the North Atlantic Ocean. It was a long-lived and powerful category, category 4 hurricane, the strongest to make landfall, and the third most intense hurricane recorded during the 95 Atlantic hurricane season. Mm-hmm. The wave height was confirmed aboard Queen Elizabeth II, which is a now-retired British ocean liner. So the people on the ocean liner were able to see the wave height. They knew how tall the ship was. So uh, The costliest tropical cyclone is Tide. Between Hurricane Katrina, mm. August 29th, 2005, and Hurricane Harvey, August 25th, 2017, both affecting the Gulf Coast of the U.S. Katrina was a Category uh, 5 with one-minute sustained winds of 175 miles per hour that caused over 1,800 deaths and $125 billion Damn. in damages. It primarily affected the city of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It was, at the time, the costliest tropical cyclone on record. Harvey was a Category 4, with one-minute sustained winds of 130 miles per hour that made landfall on Texas and Louisiana. It caused over 100 deaths and inflicted the same amount in damages, $125 billion. Louisiana can't get a fucking break. Just any states in that Gulf area. Mm-hmm. Just hold on to your britches. <laughs> okay. Because they're going to get it wet. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know how they deal with all the tropical storms all the time. But I, I'm trying to... I remember when Katrina was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bush was president. I remember mm-hmm. that. There was a joke that was like, <laughs> wherever Katrina is, we'll bring her to justice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bush was funny. 
Um, <laughs> that's all I remember about yeah, something about Hurricane Katrina in 2005. I was in what grade was I in? I was in middle school, probably. I think because mm-hmm. I graduated. It's 2009, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I was in fifth grade, I think. Might have been just the beginning of middle school. Most of the costs and lives lost were a result from flooding. Mm. Uh, so just like Ida, which is happening now, there's a lot of flooding. That's why a lot of people end up dying, unfortunately, and why it, it costs so much because the flooding damages so much. The deadliest tropical cyclone um, was the Bola cyclone, B-H-O-L-A, in East Pakistan, November 12, 1970. It remains one of the world's deadliest natural disasters, resulting in more than half a million fatalities. Whoa. Over a, It's like a minimum of 500,000. It was crazy. 1970 hit Pakistan. They were not ready for hurricanes. The highest wind gust goes to Cyclone Olivia in Barrow Island, Western Australia on April 10th, 1996. It tops the charts at 225 miles per hour or 220 knots. That's the highest gusts. The most intense one-minute max sustained surface winds goes to Hurricane Patricia in the Northeast Pacific Ocean on October 23, 2015. It was the strongest tropical cyclone on record worldwide in terms of wind speed and the second most intense on record worldwide in terms of pressure behind another typhoon I'll talk about Mm -hmm. uh, later on. It has one-minute sustained winds, had one-minute sustained winds of 215 miles per hour, 185 knots, um, which is right underneath Cyclone Olivia. Uh, Patricia also holds the records for fastest intensification. So it had one minute sustained surface winds from 85 miles per hour all the way up to 205 miles per hour Mm -hmm. in under 24 hours. It went from 85 to 205. And it holds the record for fastest updraft, which is uh, updraft is a small scale current of rising air uh, produced in a cyclone of 60 miles per hour, 60 mile per hour updrafts. Mm Mm-hmm. The most intense 10-minute max sustained winds goes to Cyclone Winston in the South Pacific Ocean on February 20th, 2016. Winston holds the records for the most intense tropical cyclone in the Southern Hemisphere on record, Mm -hmm. as well as the strongest to make landfall in the Southern Hemisphere and the most intense tropical cyclone worldwide in 2016. It had 10-minute sustained winds of 175 miles per hour or 150 knots. It was 175 miles per hour and 884 millibar uh, MB. It's the standard unit of measurement for atmospheric pressure used by the National Weather Service. (laughs) It was 175 miles per hour, 884 millibar at landfall. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, both of those were world records for landfall speed and pressure. Most intense landfall with one minute sustained winds goes to Typhoon Goni in the Philippines on November 1st, 2020. Pretty recent at 100, uh, 195 miles per hour and 170 knots. The longest lasting cyclone and the longest distance traveled mm-hmm. is Hurricane slash Typhoon John mm. in the Northeast and Northwest Pacific Ocean. It holds both those records, longest lasting and longest distance traveled. It lasted from August 11th, 1994 to September 13th, 1994. What? So just over a month. This thing was raging through the Pacific Ocean. It lasted 31 days and traveled 8,190 miles. Because it existed in both the eastern and western Pacific, John was one of a small number of tropical cyclones to be designated as both a hurricane and a typhoon. Mm -hmm. 
Though its path was largely in the Pacific, it still did about 15 million in damages. Mm. I do have a photo. So this was the path of Hurricane John. Wow. I think it started up here. Mm-hmm. And it kind of went through and went towards Texas. Uh, you could see it's largely in the ocean. Mm-hmm. It kind of passed underneath Hawaii. I think it did kind of do, do some damages in Hawaii. Even though it was mostly in the water, it stood, still did about 15 million in damages. Um, I don't know what specifically was damaged, but... And I'm sorry, it went towards Texas. That's wrong. It went towards Mexico. Now that I'm looking at this map. The longest-lasting Category 5 winds goes to Typhoon Nancy and the Northwest Pacific Ocean. lasted from September 9th to the 14th, 1961. It had Category 5 winds that lasted five and a half consecutive days. The largest tropical cyclone, uh, which is measured by radius of the winds from the center, goes to Typhoon Tip in the Northwest Pacific Ocean. This was the typhoon that I was going to, that I mentioned earlier. Um, on October 12th, 1979, Typhoon Tip. It's the largest and most intense tropical cyclone ever recorded. It has gale winds of 40 miles per hour, extending 675 miles from its center. At its peak intensity, it had a, it had a wind diameter of 1,380 miles. Jesus. If you were to superimpose, this picture is very small, but if you were to superimpose that typhoon on the U.S., it would look like this. Whoa. Damn. Um, compared to one of the smallest tropical cyclones, it takes up a little bit of Texas. But that takes up the majority of the western part of the U.S. Yeah. It is gigantic. Uh, tip also holds the record for most intense, lowest central pressure at 870 millibar. So that was the one that I was talking about before. Hurricane Tip. Uh, and then lastly, I'm going to finish talking about Hurricane Ida. So this was the whole reason why I wanted to do an episode on hurricanes, because we have Ida uh, that just went through the Gulf of Mexico into Louisiana and into the south- southeastern U.S. Um, it is the second most intense hurricane to strike Louisiana on record behind Hurricane Katrina. It's tied for the strongest landfall in the state by maximum winds with Hurricane Laura and the 1856 Last Island Hurricane. It was a Category 4 with one-minute sustained winds of 150 miles per hour, uh, lowest pressure of 929 millibar. On August 29th, Ida made landfall near Port Forchon, Forchon, F-O-U-R-C-H-O-N, Louisiana, on the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Oh, that's just cruel. Yeah, so 16 years ago, on that day, August 29th, Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana. It's still currently active, technically. It's kind of making its way through the U.S. It's now on the eastern side in the uh, Atlantic. Um, And it has uh, caused um, 48 direct fatalities, four indirect fatalities, and greater than or equal to about $15 billion in damages. It's insane. It just destroyed a lot of uh, Louisiana. It's ridiculous. Um, Those 48 direct fatalities include 23 in New Jersey, 12 in New York, 6 in Louisiana, 3 in Pennsylvania, 2 in Mississippi, 1 in Maryland, and 1 in Connecticut. It's interesting how it caused more damage in New Jersey and New York. Like, more than half of them were Do you mean fatalities, not damage? Yes, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Um, It's surprising that it uh, caused more fatalities in New Jersey and New York. Yeah, that is interesting. After it kind of dissipated and swept through. Especially when it hit 
Louisiana. Right. It touched down there. Yeah. Uh, the four indirect deaths include uh, one man that was killed by CO poisoning while working on a generator with inadequate ventilation. Mm-hmm. So a generator that was damaged. Uh, two electrical workers who died while repairing a power grid damaged by the storm. And a Louisiana man mauled to death by an alligator. I heard about that. After walking through Ida's floodwaters. Yeah. There was uh, a recent report that said that a uh, facility that was in charge of sustaining electricity for a certain area in Louisiana is has sunk into the Mississippi River. Oh my god. So about a good hefty amount of people are going to go without power for about 5 weeks. Yep. Yeah, that's um it's very upsetting. One of my bullet points says power outages were expected to take weeks possibly up to a month. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous. Um the alligator fact was interesting. Yeah, that was uh, my coworker was, was, we were looking at the news and we saw Ida that was when it was going through and, um, she was like, I'm just imagining like, it kind of seems like a movie. Like what if there was a movie like Sharknado, but with alligators? Uh, have you seen the movie crawl? No. The movie crawl is about a girl who goes back to the uh, area where her father lives in the middle of a hurricane evacuation, uh, finds him under the house in the crawl space. And it turns out a bunch of alligators had gotten into his crawl space, and it's the story of them fighting to survive the alligators in the middle of a hurricane and flooding waters. What in the world? Why do you know about this? Because I have seen it multiple times. Because Why? Because it's so bad. <laughs> it's a really bad movie. It is not a good movie. <laughs> All right. But that is literally... Yep. But she was talking about like a storm of alligators like just <laughs> flying through. Uh, like they need anything worse they're already dealing with enough they don't need alligators flying through the sky as the storm i'm sorry after the storm passed nearly all of the oil production along the gulf coast was shut in Mm. thousands of crew members were uh, deployed in louisiana and hundreds were rescued and states of emergency were declared in louisiana new york and new jersey lastly you listener can donate to help people affected by Hurricane Ida on the website for the American Red Cross at redcross.org. Just go to redcross.org, click on the Donate Now button. It's right at the top of the page. It talks about Hurricane Ida. Uh, any little bit helps. Redcross.org. They're going to be without power for a while. They're dealing with a lot of damage. And like I mentioned, this is the second most intense hurricane to hit Louisiana since Katrina back in 2005. On believable page you said it um we are living the in the end times <laughs> i feel like we really are <laughs> uh i'm sorry this uh this is going a little bit longer than i thought too dinner is gonna be kind of late we just okay? gotta be quick all right well we still got a bonus beer we gotta be quick all right so what'd you think of the beer whoa i can do it sometimes it's okay oh, i felt wrong <laughs> um I didn't like it. What didn't you like about it? I don't I don't like stouts. I don't like porters. And this is just like I didn't like the bourbon aged whatever that we tried before. <laughs> the bourbon aged whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was gross. The stuff before, not this. Mm. I don't think this is gross. I just think that this is not to my palate taste. Can you pass me a glass? The smell is very much licorice, chocolate, malt, and I just find that very unpleasant, yes. along with the booziness behind it. Yeah. Um, I have had 
beers that are similar to this and they have not been as easy to drink as this one is in comparison the smell and the taste do not line up in the slightest yeah. um so the taste is manageable for me but it's not something i want to drink a whole bottle of that's like why i was like oh we should share a bottle it's fine i mean i've got I didn't want to share a bottle because then I only have two bottles to drink rather than three bottles to drink for myself. <laughs> so it's okay. Um, yeah. I, um, I didn't hate it, but I just don't. Right. It's not to my tastes. Yeah. I didn't hate it either. Um, again, I can see why it got good scores because it's, like you've been saying, it's well brewed. It's, it's a decent beer. Just not for me. Uh I guess there's a time and place for this beer. Mm -hmm. Depends on. I mean, I would I would not drink this alone like we did. I would drink it with a meal, and it would have to be a, a specific kind of meal. Um, I think it would go much better with food, smoked meats, and you know, pungent cheeses. It's interesting. It's unique. I'm glad I got to try it. It's tasty, but I didn't enjoy it very much. Uh, not my cup of tea. Not my glass of beer. <laughs> Um, plenty of other beers that I wouldn't enjoy over this. But um, it's decent. Good. Glad we got to try it. Beerandfearcast.com is our website. Uh, we made a couple allusions, I guess, um, to uh, stages and crowds and things like that. I feel like we could, we, maybe we can mention it now. Might as well. Um, <clears throat> we are planning to do a live if you're listening to this still we're planning to do a live show on october 29th it's a friday it's the last friday of october right before halloween halloween weekend we're gonna do our first live show it's gonna be at center stage theater in naperville uh center stage theater i talked about them when we did episode 50 with uh salamote brewing on holy goat uh, Salamoth is right next to Center Stage Theater, and I used to work for Center Stage. Um, so they do a lot of musicals and plays, but they also host a lot of other events. They do stand-up comedy. They do live bands. They do pretty much anything you can think of. They're, they're a theater. They're a venue, and they host a lot of cool events. So they've been so kind enough to um, volunteer to host us um, and act as a venue for our very first live show. And I'm super excited about it. Uh, we we met with someone today um, and kind of talked over everything, and, and we're starting to plan out what that episode's going to be, what we're going to talk about, the beer that we're going to have, and hopefully uh, we're going to have tickets uh, available on our website starting right around the middle of the month. Because um, it'll be, like we mentioned, the end of October. We'll start selling tickets maybe middle of this month. Um, we're thinking five bucks. If we're going to charge for them, they'll be five dollars. Um and that's going to include the live podcast episode, the beer that we're drinking. So you're going to be able to sit sit and drink the beer with us. Um, we're hopefully going to have some live music. We're going to try to arrange that. And we're going to be showing a film at the end of it, too. So after our podcast, we'll be a little bit of a break. And then we're all going to chill and watch a movie, drink some beer, have some food. There's a cafe there. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a wonderful night. Great Halloween weekend night, Friday night. Um, come spend it with us. We're very excited to do our very first live show. So stay in the loop. Uh, keep in touch with us on our social media. We'll be able to, or we'll be sure to provide you with updates on that as they come up. 
beerandfearcast.com is our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, TikTok. It's where you can find us. Beerandfearcast at gmail.com is our email, or go to our About page on our website, and you can send us a message or an email. Anything you want to tell us, reach out, tell us you like the podcast. If you want to send us a spooky or scary story for Frights and Flights, that'd be awesome. We still need to do an episode of that. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for sticking around. We're doing a bonus episode after this, so be sure to stay tuned for that. And bonus episodes you can listen to on our Patreon. A dollar a month, one dollar, four quarters a month gets you access to these bonus episodes. Check it out, patreon.com slash beer and fear cast. Have a good day. So many plugs. <laughs>